All right, welcome to Super Bowl uh, Sunday. Uh, out of curiosity, show of hands or yells, how many of you guys are cheering for the Chiefs? All right, how many of you guys are cheering for the Eagles? How many of you guys are cheering for good commercials? <laughs> how many of you guys don't care at all? Hey, the commercials, I think, out one that don't care people. I like this. I always call this, you know, this is America's second Thanksgiving, except for you get to choose who you want to hang out with, you know, and so you get to see this. It just becomes kind of this America's pastime. Hey, before we jump into today, uh, two weeks from today, we're kicking off a new series, and it's called Good Grief. It's called Good Grief. Uh, here's what we know. Over the last couple of years, uh, whether you've lost someone to death or you lost a job or you lost experiences we have lost a lot, and as Americans, we are terrible at grieving. And the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of and how to grieve and how to help others, you know, through grief, through loss, through transition. And so we're going to spend two weeks really trying to dive into God's Word, you know, as we try to understand how we can kind of go through grief and we can help others to do the same. Now, with uh, that all in mind, just a couple little things. Our indoor, as Jeff said, our indoor playground will be open in just the next few weeks. I want to remind you again, the vision and the purpose, I hope that your kids, your grandkids, nieces and nephews enjoy it, but it's actually built for their friends. It's because the reason we want to make sure this happened is so our vision that God has given us is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And we believe this is another opportunity and another tool for you to invite those kids, be able to come in here, talk, have relational conversations, connect with one another, and prayerfully connect with God. And that's one of the reasons we have the, that we're doing this, and that's why we're also expanding you know, the lobby so that we can have more time to connect with each other. So welcome uh, to week three of Parenthood. Remember, uh, the goal from a godly perspective is uh, to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them until it rests solely on God. So as we teach them to love God and love others, to follow His will and His design as they grow in dependence and they grow independent, that's not, that's an American mindset. God wants us to encourage them to become more and more dependent on Him. And so we've talked, you know, about uh, being reminded that it more is caught than taught, so it starts with us. We also, you know, last week talked about the four unchanging principles of parenthood, and that is godly support, loving touch, impactful words, and abundant time. And this week, we're going to add one more, you know, to the four, now it's five unchanging principles, and that is healthy discipline, healthy discipline. Now, as I've said through this whole series, um, this sermon applies to everybody, even though I'm going to use a lot, especially this week, a lot of parenting examples and illustrations from God's Word. So you're going to have to contextualize a little bit to say, okay, this is where it relates to me. I'll try to point out some things as we go along. Second thing is I'm going to give you a lot of information. So I want you to kind of hang with me because there's going to be a lot thrown out at you so that you can continue to process, whether it be for you or for maybe a sister, maybe a mom or a grandchild, whatever it may be, that be applicable to your instance and situation. So let's start once again with the understanding that discipline actually doesn't start with our kids. It actually starts with us as the parents. Uh, and, and undisciplined parents tend to produce undisciplined kids. And all of us fall into one of these traps I'm going to mention three, and there are probably others as well, but we can find ourselves into one of these traps we want to try to avoid. So before we talk about how we discipline our kids, we got to look in the mirror as parents. So for example, uh, how about uh, the lifeguard parents? Okay, lifeguard parents often rescue a child from consequences. 
And we think we're trying to, we don't want little Johnny or Susie to suffer harm, and so we try to rescue them from experiencing those important consequences where actually they learn more through pain and suffering than actually through comfort and success. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you, what you plant. And so we've got to allow our kids to fail. It's okay. It's a great learning lesson. I'm not talking about uh, allowing them to like, well, cut your arm off. Well, sucks to be you. And, you know, I'm sorry that you're hooked on drugs the rest of your life. You know, I'm going to let them fail that way. I'm not talking about those things. Uh, This would be an example like in our household. So I have a child uh, who doesn't like to be told what they should wear. And specifically, when it's cold outside, I will say to her, you can figure out which one of my children that is. And I will say, Angelie, put on a jacket. It's 20 degrees outside. She'll step outside for two seconds. I'm not cold. And I'm like, okay. So I could force her. I could make her. I'm like, you will listen to me. I am the parent. Or she can go outside without a jacket for about 25 or 30 minutes and say, daddy, I'm freezing. And I'll let her stay out a little bit longer and not hypothermia to be set in, but just enough so that the next time, hey, remember how cold you were? I didn't make you put on the jacket. Natural consequences. It can be the same thing when your child is in middle school and they're like uh, telling you there's a big test coming up and you know they haven't studied. And you're like, should you study for the test? It's time to study for the test. And they're like, nope, I'm good. It's not their high school transcripts. So it's okay as they get a C, a D, or an F and be like, well, how did that feel? Could it be because I encouraged you to study and you didn't study you're experiencing some of these natural consequences that take place, which actually helps them to learn? For example, when I was in elementary school, my parents desperately wanted me to eat vegetables. I didn't like vegetables. Anything green, bad, you know, steak, potatoes, good. And so um, my mom, though, uh, grew up with the idea that whatever she cooks, I'm supposed to eat. And uh, I am not allowed to choose whatever I want to eat. I actually have to eat what she actually cooked. Well, one day she cooked peas. I can't stand peas, at least at that age. Didn't like peas, you know, at all. And so uh, I decided it was time to kind of stand up for myself and rebuff my mom. And so she said, you better eat your peas you know, or else you're not leaving the table until you eat the peas. I said, fine, I'm going to stay here all night. She said, okay. So I sat there for 30 minutes, which felt like, for a fourth grader, felt like eternity. And I was like, I'm winning, I'm winning, I'm winning. Just hold your ground, hold your ground. My mom's just kind of smiling as I'm going through, putting myself through this consequence, putting myself through this suffering. So finally, I come up with this great idea. I was like, okay, mom, I know it's my turn to wash the dishes. Here's what I'll do. I will hold the peas in my mouth, but I refuse to eat them. She's like, deal. So I get up, and it takes me about 20 minutes to do the dishes that night. And uh, whatever it became in my mouth, I refused to swallow even one bit. And I'm just like trying as hard as I can. And she's sitting, and she's just sitting back and just, just smiling at my natural consequence. And so after 20 minutes, she goes, hey, go ahead and spit it out. So I'm thinking, victory. I beat my mom. I told her I got my will. I got my way. I spit out whatever those peas became in your mouth after 20 minutes, and I spit it out. She was laughing because she knew what was going to happen. Over the next three days, everything I ate tasted like peas. And so it was definitely a consequence to be able to learn, you know what, when mom tells me to eat it, it's better to do it that way than uh, actually than for her just to continue to force me, you know, along those lines. So I got to learn by natural consequence. So that would be one example. Uh, secondly, how about Etch-a-Sketch parents? Etch-a-Sketch parents, I'm going back a little bit. It's often inconsistent. This is where I found myself I know that some of you could fall into this trap as well. To discipline a child in Proverbs 29 produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. 
Now, an Etch-A-Sketch parent disciplines based on our mood, not based on the child. So we find ourselves in one instance giving a consequence, like, hey, you didn't do what I asked you to do, and here's your consequence. But the very same instant, because we had a bad day, all of a sudden now you're grounded for a month and you can never see your friends again. You know, we have those kinds of reactions, which the child is very confused because why is it this one day and this another? I've fallen into that trap. You know, where my mood, my temperament, my bad day comes across and I become very inconsistent to the child. And we know in other, other, other arenas how challenging this can be. Uh, I've uh, been in youth sports, as I've told you, with my boys all the time. Here's what I can tell you. When it comes to youth activities, if the refs are consistent, then all of a sudden things go better. Now, we may disagree with the consistency, like maybe they're not calling as many fouls as they should, you know, or maybe they're, letting, or they're calling too many fouls, but if they're consistent... In whatever it is they're refing, the players can adjust easily, the coaches can adjust easily, and the parents seem to be okay. But as soon as it's completely inconsistent, I mean, like wildly inconsistent, all of a sudden the kids don't know how to play that kind of game, and the, the coaches get mad, and the parents, well, that's all a different sermon for a future week, you know, in terms of how parents interact with you sports. But uh, you can see the inconsistency that can take place. This happens at your workplace, this happens in other relationships. You know, are we consistent? And so it's something for us to be able to look at. A third type of parent is a split decision parents. This is the lack of unity. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction, says Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Man, this is where I have been, and because you have been this as well, all of your kids are smart, and they know when they get to a certain age, I'm going to ask one parent, and if I don't get the answer that I'm looking for, I might subtly ask the other parent in order to get that. And then if one parent gives them because they haven't checked with the other parent, then guess what happens between mom and dad? This starts happening. Why are we on the same page? I said no. Well, I said yes. And well, you're too harsh. And I'm not harsh enough. And you have all of a sudden it's an argument between parents and the child is just skipping along to the rest of their beat. Okay, this is what happens. So having a unified front, talking about these things before the decisions, getting wise to know that your child is going to do this. Now, with that kind of as the backdrop, knowing that we find ourselves in one of those areas, we need to ask ourselves, what is healthy discipline? Now, what is discipline? That's different. What is healthy discipline? Because if you don't have a goal and understanding, then discipline simply becomes punishment. If you don't obey me, bad things are going to happen to you because I said so. If we, because I said so parenting, if that's our go-to, you will find compliance for a period of time, but rebellion over extended period of time. And so fear can only last so long in the hearts and mind of a child. So healthy discipline is correction driven by love. So healthy discipline is direction driven by love. And so let's go back to our father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, a little bit of a side note, uh, because I think this is important here. You've heard uh, people say outside these walls on a regular basis, uh, we are all God's children. And it's just not true. We are all, humanity is created in the image of God. That's true. But to become a child of God, you actually have to be a, a choose to follow Jesus, and you and I are adopted into God's family. And it's a big difference between the two. 
We're all created in the image of God, but we only become part of the family of God when we accept Jesus Christ. How do I know this? Because John 1.12, amongst other verses as well, says this. But to all who believe Jesus and accepted Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. And so since we're adopted into the family of God, now we are God's children when you accept Jesus Christ. And as God's children, we can learn what healthy discipline feels like and looks like from our heavenly Father. And this is what God says in Hebrews chapter 12, and this applies to all of us now, in verses 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he actually accepts as a child. Notice the motivation by God. Healthy discipline driven by love. That's the motivation. See, discipline isn't something you do to a child. It's something you do for a child. It's a big difference between the two. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Show me an undisciplined child, and I, I will show you a child that is unloved. That is absolutely unloved. Now, let's back up even further. You know, at the heart of every transgression, at the heart of every misbehavior of a child or us as God's children is a damaged relationship. In other words, when a child does something wrong, just like when you and I do something wrong, it hinders relationship. It could be relationship with God, it hinders, relationship with a parent, relationship with friends. Think about coworkers, neighbors, families, or even a relationship with yourself. Whenever we do something outside of that, we hinder relationship. And if that is what takes place when we do these things, because we're operating under healthy discipline, then the goal of discipline is the restoration of the relationship. So that becomes the motivation. It's driven by love, and we're trying to restore relationship, whether it's with themselves, with God, with us, with one another. It applies to all of us. See, learning what they have done to hurt or hinder relationship with God or others can really, really help them come back to understand. So when you actually say, say you're sorry, get specific, tell them why. This is why this is a rule. This is why this is important. This is why you're suffering consequence, because I love you and I want to restore relationship back with you. Not that it's broken, it's just you're finding some hindrances based on, on what it is or whatever it is that they're engaged in. So there is a healthy approach to discipline. Okay, there's a healthy, godly approach to discipline. And once again, we don't have to come up with this. We get to learn it from our heavenly father. Back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best that they knew how. So I don't know what kind of discipline or relationship that you have with your father. And oftentimes, we think of God as if he's our father. There's that correlation in, in how we were raised, which can bring a stumbling block sometimes and a barrier to our relationship with God. But God's discipline, no matter what you experienced, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. Remember, we're talking about us as kid children of God. It's painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest 
of right living for those who are trained in this way. So here are some principles that we can learn from God our Father and how he disciplined the nation of Israel, how he disciplines us as his kids. Discipline more for attitude in their heart more than their action. In other words, we're not into just behavioral modification. So we're trying to actually go to the heart. This is why it's so critical to explain at some point in the relationship and whatever's taking place, the why behind the what. So when there is discipline, when there is consequence, if you can get to the why, now we're trying to deal with the motivation, the attitude, and the heart. Okay, it's critical. Secondly, and I've fallen into this, try not to discipline in anger. Try not to discipline when you are angry when I am angry. Ephesians 4.26, and don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you as the parent. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Man, I've blown this from time to time. I can't tell you how many times my kid has pushed my buttons, right? And I think your kids know how to push your buttons as well, and you're done, right? It's the 17th time they've done this or said this or responded this way, and so you respond in frustration or anger or whatever it may be, But I found myself, when I have responded that way out of anger, I have just actually created a wound in their eyes and their heart. And so that means that when I do circle back and I am calmer, that I can step back and calm, I have to come back, not only talk about what they've done and talk about the why we're punishing and why the discipline, that kind of stuff, but then oftentimes I'll have to apologize. And I'll have to say, you know what? And daddy's sorry too. I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have been that tone, I shouldn't have come across, I shouldn't have responded that way, because I need to restore relationship again, and because of my overreaction to something, I have now actually made some things maybe at times worse than otherwise, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, I know we live in a society that says there is no difference between men or women. It's baloney. Men and women are equal. That's never been been in question. 100% equal before God and before others. But there is major difference. One of the sociological differences that's not talked about, but sociologists agree, is the impact of fathers or fatherlessness to children. It's different than mothers. There's a reason why the Bible points to fathers in this instance, because we don't talk a lot about, it's happened, it's out there, mother wounds, there are father wounds, and it goes deep in the hearts of what you've experienced or what others experience as well. So it's calling out dads, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. And so we want to make sure that we're disciplining with instruction and reconciliation, building that relationship. And there's a lot more on that. I just don't have a lot of time to go into that. But I just want to point out that there's opportunities for us as dads to make sure that we're especially careful in how that we're disciplined and how that we're coming across. Okay, now, you can't have healthy discipline without rules. Okay, let me be clear. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion all the time. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So you have to have the relationship, but you can't have a healthy relationship unless you have rules. See, rules are there to enhance and protect relationship. Show me a healthy relationship. I'm talking about friendship, marriage, 
mother and daughter, father and son, whatever relationship you want to think of, show me a healthy one and I will show you the rules and the boundaries that enhance or protect that relationship. Uh, don't, don't, don't believe me? Okay, tell your spouse you're going to cheat on him this week. See how that goes, right? Well, why can't I? I should have freedom in whatever I do. No, it's a rule to help protect or enhance the relationship. It's the same thing with God. Um, a lot of people say, gosh, I don't like Christianity because oh, it's a bunch, a bunch of rules. It is a bunch of rules. Don't, de- don't deny that. There's a bunch of rules, but every single rule that you find in the Bible all of them have to do with enhancing or protecting your relationship with God or one another. Uh, for example, go back to the Ten Commandments, right? The Big Ten, like God is, you know, trying to take away my freedom and take away my fun. My fun. Really? Okay, God says do not steal. That hinders relationship, right? If you steal something from somebody else, you're going to have issues in the relationship, right? Do not covet your neighbor's stuff and your neighbor's spouse. Yeah, that would probably hinder relationship, You know, uh, don't put any other gods before me. Yep, that hinders your relationship with God. Don't murder. Probably hinders relationship, right? These these things that people are like, oh my gosh, look at all these rules of Christianity. Yes, and every single one of them is for the purpose of healthy relationship that you have with other people or you have with God. So we have to have rules. So what are some godly rules? Okay, what are some godly rules? Now, I'm just throwing up a bunch of them. You've got to determine for your household, based on God's word, what would be helpful for you and for them because children are different and you're going to need to elevate something. Isn't that the weirdest thing, by the way? If you have more than one child, you're like, why is the second child so much different than the first? Didn't it come from both of us? You're like, I mean, I thought I had to, uh, I was pretty good at being a parent. You know, and I was like, all right, figuring out the stages and that kind of stuff. And then I had a second child, and none of the things worked for the second child that worked for the first child. You're like, what is up with this? And so you have to relearn that. So kids are different. You're going to have to figure out which ones of these or others you might need to elevate more than others in the child's life. So here are some. How about one of the rules we have is love. That's a rule we have in our household, to love God and to love others. That's what we're going to do. We're going to love one another as a family, loving mom and dad, and we're going to teach you and walk through why it's important to love God. Now, the rule, seek first the kingdom of God. That can get hard for us as parents when the child determines to go a different direction than we have prescribed in our mind based on where that child should go. And so where we're like, but are they following the Lord? Then okay, we should be okay with that. And you can read the scriptures behind that. It's one of the reasons that we, in our household, we tell people going to church is not optional. Even if you're a teenager, you know, just like going to school isn't optional, even when you don't feel like it. And we've talked about this before. Be like, these are important things for your own development and your own growth. Uh, how about honoring your mother and father? Right, that's always one of our favorites. You better honor your mother and father that it may go well for you. Unless mom and dad are asking you to sin, do what they say. Try to learn first-time obedience. Try to learn with doing it a good attitude. That is a hard thing to do, by the way. But there's always in there. How about admitting your mistakes and asking for forgiveness? You know, admitting your mistakes. As a family, are we going to be able to admit our mistakes and ask for forgiveness of one another? For example, I've seen different parents do something like this with siblings, right? Have you seen this, this thing? It's the we will get along shirt. <laughs> I loved it when this thing came out. Look at the older brother. He's so happy about it. I start thinking, you know what? This shouldn't just apply to siblings. It can apply to marriage relationships. So I think we have a picture of that. Oh, yes. 
There it is. She is so excited. You know, when you guys get in a fight, can you imagine you get in a fight and you, you both get a get along shirt with the thing? Anyway, you know, that's just, that's just me being a little weird. Uh, how about respecting other people? Right? We're going to respect others. So uh, one of the ways that we have chosen to model this is you're going to attend the other siblings' sporting events or events in their lives. So this happened again yesterday. My 17-year-old is not interested in watching girls' volleyball. But guess what? His sister's playing. Guess what he gets to do? Be as bored out of his mind like she is at all of his events. And so they're there as a support. And yes, I took his phone away. So when she's actually playing, you have to actually watch her. And so there is these kinds of things that we're going to respect each other and learn some of these things because life is not all about you, son and daughter. Abby, how about having a good work ethic? Why do you, again, explain to your kids, why do I make you do chores? You know, it's not only free child labor, which is great for all of us as parents, you know, but it actually is for their benefit in how they honor the Lord. There's even rules on dating and engagement as your kids get older. One of the things, you know, we've tried to tell our kids, and again, they have free choice. They don't have to follow these as they get older, but Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Talk about a verse to help your child understand. To be like who you date, you know, who you're friends with, how you're connecting. Guard that heart of yours as you get older. Or don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What can fellowship, uh, can light have with darkness? What God is saying is, is, is we're supposed to connect with anybody, no matter where they're at. But when it comes to a dating, engagement, or marriage, here's what we, we see all the time. Nine times out of the ten, I know there's stories, but nine times out of the ten, the person who is more committed becomes less committed when you're actually in a marriage relationship. You see it time and time again. So you need to be equally yoked in your commitment to God. So we talk through that. How about guarding your tongue? Right? Things like gossip. Why am I teaching my kid about gossip or bad language? You know, it isn't just because we don't want them to swear, it's because there's a reason that our tongue's important to try to gain control over. How about not lying? Okay, so that's part of our tongue, but I separated that. Because for us, shields don't lie. At least that's what we tell them. They do. They do. You know, so let's, let's be honest. They're, just because they're pastor kids, they actually do lie. But what I do tell them over and over and over is, guys, just so you know, if you lie, your punishment will be far worse than if you just tell the truth. And they're like, well, why is that? Well, it's because lying breaks down trust, and trust is foundational for our relationship. And so it's happened a few times where the lion like, woo, you, and we tell them, you would have gotten this punishment, but you're going to get this punishment only because you lied. Now, I learned this probably from my mom and my dad, uh, because here we go. Uh, when I was in uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, sometime in there, um, uh, Nintendo had just come out. And uh, for those of you who are a little younger, we went to a place called the mall. And, um, and we went to the mall. They would have these consoles that were set up. And Atari was the coolest thing out there, and Nintendo had just come out. Super Mario Brothers was the thing. We're like, we've never seen anything like this, and every kid wanted to have it, including myself. We couldn't afford it, but that never had to stop me from trying to get what I wanted. So uh, my grandmother came into town. Yes, I'm about to tell you a story where I stole from my grandmother, and I'm still your pastor. Um, <laughs> so grandmother came to town, and uh, in those days, they didn't carry cards. You either carried cashier's checks or cash. So they came, and I had this all worked out in my head. I was like, hey, grandmother's going to come into town. I told my best friend, Adrian, we're gonna, I'm going to steal money from grandmother, and I'm going to go buy it, and we're going to store it at your house. 
Because that way I could go play it at his house all the time and, you know, like not thinking that his mom would ever ask, hey, where'd you get this? But, you know, that's, that's I'm sixth grade. Okay, remember that. So uh, we're watching, it's Thursday night, uh, you know, uh, a TV, and we would gather around as a family, and yes, we would watch the Cosby show. Don't judge me. You know, that was pre-built, whatever you want to figure out. You know, but he was America's dad. It was awesome. You know, so love the Cosby show. We'd sit around and watch it, and then we had something called commercials. You know, and uh, where you couldn't fast forward, you couldn't pause. So it was during commercial, I had a plan. I got up and I went to the other room where I knew my grandmother's purse was. I grabbed the purse, went into the bathroom, turned on the sink. I remember all these details to make them think that I was going to the bathroom. And I took out money and I went back. You know, I was like, whoo, like Mission Impossible, did it. Felt really good. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, I don't think I took enough. I was like, I forgot tax and stuff like that. So then the next commercial, I had to go and I stole some more money thinking she's not going to notice like $150 missing from her, you know, her trip with grandfather. So uh, that next morning, my uh, mom comes to me, it's before church, and she says, hey, you know, uh, Danny, that's, that's what it was, Danny, did uh, you steal money from your grandmother? And I was like, oh, no. In fact, I think it was one of my brother's. You know, so yeah, oh yeah, I tried to throw them under the bus. I didn't just deny it. I actually said, my older brother, I said, he definitely did it. I saw what he was doing, you know, uh, and she's like, really? Okay, well, my, your father and I would like to talk to you after church. So I went to church. I wasn't thinking anything of it. And I come to find out, my mom was freaking out. You know, she talked to her best friend. She tells me this years later. Talked to her best friend. She goes, she goes, my son's going to grow up to be a criminal. I'm going to visit him in prison. You know, all this kind of stuff that moms and parents can tend to do when your kids make mistakes is that we blow it out of proportion. But anyway, so uh, she says, all right, my, your dad and I want, us to, want to meet you up in our bedroom. Now, in our household, if you ever had a talk in the bedroom, whoo, it was next level. So I went in there and I was like, what's going on? They're like, hey, we know you stole the money. Go get the money and bring it back. So I start crying right there, and I went and got the money, and I brought it back. And this is what my mom said. She says, Danny, I love you no matter what. I said, but this is broken trust, and it's going to take us some time to build that trust back again. It's not only that you stole from your grandmother, who does that, by the way, you know, but, uh, but, you, but you lied about it. And he goes, that's what we've talked about, and that's far worse. So then she gave us some consequence. Can do, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of opportunity to build back that trust. And I'll tell you what, since that time, I haven't stolen a nickel. I mean, if you drop something, I'm like, hey, sorry, did you drop this? Here's 25 cents. It's not my, because this whole, you know, this thing is just in the back of my mind of what this consequence was that I actually had to go through. And hey, I'm a pastor now, so it can turn out good. You know, you never know what happens. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, you're gonna clap. <laughs> I tell you that Jesus is risen from the dead, and you're like, I tell you that I stole from my grandmother. You guys are like, yeah, that's my pastor. You guys are just sit. We got priorities wrong in this room. Okay, how about be a person of integrity? That's another one. You know, uh, uh, choose close friends wisely, and there's many more. So many different Bible verses that help fulfill the goal of transferring to dependence on God. And so there's different things that you're doing. Now, there's one more boundary or rule that I want to mention, which is new to this generation. Because every generation has some unique things, but this one we need to talk about for just a second, and that's what I'm calling the digital dilemma. Because there's not a verse in the Bible about iPhones and all this other kind of stuff, so you have to take some of these principles. Now, research currently shows that the average 8 to 10-year-old is now spending almost eight hours a day with a variety of media and older children and teenagers spending about 11 hours per day. 
And you start thinking about, really? I'm like, yeah, process through it. TV, computers, phones, you know, um, other gadgets, video games, and so on. You're like, yeah. And they're using them in schools and different places like that. Now, I don't want to be the get off my lawn guy or the I'm a, in my generation, we never had these things. And, you know, we went to snow uphill both ways kind of person because there are really positive things that you need to understand. With every type of device, there are really positive things. So let me just cover that before I talk to you about some of the negatives. Here's the positives when it comes to the digital generation that we're dealing with. It is actually helping them learn in a different way that you and I never did. It's a classroom tool that's used constantly. Talk about writing papers and research, job hunting, preparing for future tech careers. It improves multitasking. Have you ever seen them do like 16 different things like when they're playing video games? Like, I don't even know what you're doing or how you do it. It's improved problem solving and even improved some of their decision-making process. Think about just the iPhone itself. Uh, yeah, some of you Galaxy people, you'll get there. Uh, the iPhone itself. So think about what you have in your hand now. You're able to take pictures, video, text, email, do business, FaceTime, listen to music, podcasts, navigation to places, audible books, even the Bible, news, and sports information, watch movies or shows on long trip, book travel, and the list goes on and on. Oh, by the way, it makes phone calls every once in a while as well, right? You have this device you've never had before. These are all positive things. These are all better things than what we had when we were kids. I mean, there's some of these advancements, it's just absolutely astonishing. But don't be fooled because there's great negatives to this as well. Like here's some of the things that they're finding out. Uh, we have now, uh, the generation is the lowest attention span of any generation in American history. Very, very, very challenging. Uh, there's an increased risk and lack of privacy. Aren't you glad they didn't have cell phones when we were kids? <laughs> I was like, I'd be canceled today. Like, hey, watch this kid steal from his grandmother. You know, <laughs> gone. You know, but there's lack of privacy. There, there is a huge issue. Mental health is being decimated by all of the use of the digital devices. You're going to read research that's going to tell you otherwise, but I can tell you definitively, look at the stats Look where mental health was in our country before the invention of the iPhone. Look where it is now and watch the correlations. And so it's a pandemic that we saw explode through COVID because kids even more so dove into digital devices and media than ever before. So anxiety and depression are on the rise at an alarming rate that we have to be aware of and we have to admit that it's playing a part. Uh, we see obesity, obesity that's on the rise because kids are playing less Falling grades, bullying, social interaction issues. You go to different games and sporting events or even at restaurants, the kids are texting back and forth instead of looking face to face. The access to pornography is unparalleled. It used to be in the day you actually had to go to places. Now it pops up on your device without even looking for it. And it starts when they're very, very young. Child sex trafficking is on the rise and international as well. And this is just some of the things. So as parents, things that we need to do is encourage face to face interactions Within technology, you got to make sure there's some face Make sure that tech doesn't interfere in opportunities to play. Time limits. Parent protections on each device. These are some of the things that you've got to walk through as parents to not be naive that this is having an effect. Yes, there's positives, but you also got to be able to monitor and help them as they navigate something that is as addicting as heroin to some of these kids as well. So we got to watch through that. Now, I'm going to tell you what we've tried. I'm not going to say it's all been working, and I'm just saying this is not in the Bible. 
This is just Dan and our experience. I don't need any emails about where is that in the Bible or we didn't do it that way. That's fine because we are a little nuts. I'll admit that. This is just us. Like, for example, uh, we didn't and haven't given a cell phone, a smartphone to our kids until they're in high school. We didn't do this, you know, because we knew some of these things that were coming out. So they got a dumb phone when they were in junior high, which is really hard to find these days, you know, and then when they're in high school, they actually got a smartphone for us to be able to navigate through that, which is one of the objections. But dad, what if I need to get a hold of you? I'm like, well, get your friend's phone. Thank you, by the way, you know, for making sure they have, you know, phones in their lives. Yes, you know, they have things like Nintendo Switch, or they use our phones in the fourth quarter basketball games when they're really bored, or an iPad time, and they do play video games. Again, I'm not like, we're restricting them from these things. We're just trying to figure out what was best for our kids, and that's one of the decisions we made. We made sure they don't have any TV in their rooms, no TV in their rooms by themselves, you know, Uh, and so we said, nope, if you're going to watch television, it's going to be out in a public place downstairs. Plug in their devices. They have to plug in their devices upstairs in the open, not in their rooms, and we have access to all of their passwords for all their social media, whether it's Facebook or MySpace or, you know, just kidding, just kidding for those of you guys on MySpace. But we have all the access. We have all the passwords to all those things because it's, it, we've bought this. We're helping to pay for this. And they know this, that it's only out of love and protection for them so that it's all free and open. No uh, phones at the table at times, like during meals. And let me tell you what, my daughter has called me out more times than I care to admit in a while back. But this is important. Now, she's the one who doesn't have a phone in our family, so she always notices when we're using phones, Daddy, you can't have that. I'm like, but this is the Seahawks. Okay, all right, putting it down. And so she's right. You know, she's helping to call us out on that. Sometimes we have no phones in the car if we're talking, no video games during the week, only on the weekends, because I know my boys. My daughter's not interested in video games, but my sons can't get enough of them. So trying to put some guardrails on that uh, we have parent protection on all the devices that we have, so we're doing our best. We have Life 360 or Find Your Friends, so I know where my kids are at all times. These are just some of the things that we have done. You've got better things, you've got different things, but you have to face the reality of the effects of the digital dilemma of today. And you've got to enter into that world and to be able to navigate through what can be very helpful, but also very harmful. Uh, one of the things, I haven't had a chance because it's newer, I haven't had a chance to see this, but I've heard it's amazing, is this talk that was given by Kyle Eidelman called Redeem the Screen. Redeem the Screen, it's uh, on Right Now Media. It'd be very, very helpful. I've heard it's a great, great you know, thing to be able to watch. He's a great man of God as well. Now, as we wrap up, we can best discipline others when we accept the discipline from our Father, our Father in heaven. Are you and I open to the correction that God wants to bring in our lives? Do you know what's crazy? Some of the things that God will do, he will allow us to live in the consequence and products of our choices over and over and over with the hope, not that you and I suffer pain, that we will turn our hearts to him. That we will turn our minds and hearts back to him. That he allows us to make that free will and choices in order to say, you are my son you are my daughter. I love you. Come back to me or come to me, which is what we always offer every single week, that that's the heart of our father is he disciplines out of love and he hopes that in that discipline that he gives to us that we might be able to do the same to our kids. And it doesn't mean even if you're the perfect parent at disciplining kids, doesn't mean they're going to turn out great. They can still choose. My kids have caused me great heartache, you know, uh, even recently, 
over some decisions that they have made as they've gotten older. But I can't control some of those things. I can just continue to do the best that I can, submitting to his discipline in my life as I try to do the best with them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today and the opportunity we have to worship you. I pray you would lead, guide, and direct us in this decision and the opportunities that we have. May the discussion continue from this point on. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.